0: The Canadian Military History Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Lacroix. Music provided by the 48th Islanders of Canada. Today's guests, Sergeant Sean Wickett, CD, Section Commander, B Company, the Gray and Simcoe Foresters, Corporal Al Wickett, CD, Transport and Maintenance NCO, 3 Canadian Ranger Patrol Group.
1: I was part of a team from the Foresters to go to a skill-at-arms competition in Norway. We did well. We were the top international team. Getting recognized from the CEO and receiving the CEO's coin is not something that happens every day, so it's definitely not.
2: There was a position open for a mechanic or a maintainer for 3CRPG, which is the 3rd Canadian Ranger Patrol Group. I worked with them right up until I retired at age 60 and wish I could go to work there every day.
0: Welcome to the Canadian Military History Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Lacroix. We've made it. It's episode 50. It was a long time coming. I had a little bit of a brief interruption in production of the show by deploying on both Op Provision as well as Op Trillium Response. However, I'm back at it, back at the microphone, and back at home. I want to dedicate episode 50 to my good friend, Chief Warrant Officer Scott Patterson. Who was featured in episode 44 of the show and regrettably passed away on the 10th of February 2016. Scott was a good friend. I carry many of his mementos that he had presented to me in my home and I think about him just about every single day. I know that he's missed by his good friends at the Queen's Own Rifles of Canada and people across Toronto everywhere. So with episode 50, I wanted to do something special, something significant, and something different. And one of the trends I noticed as putting together the show was that there was a lot of people that drew back or drew inspiration or some type of guidance, mentorship from their father or from their parents to be more specific. But let's just say father for argument's sake. As I'm producing the show, as I'm going through the episodes, the number of people that say that one of their influences was their father just seems to be a recurring theme. Last November, I had the opportunity to speak with our guests today, and I do mean guests, plural. And I discovered an interesting story that they both shared with me, and I felt that for episode 50, I wanted to do something different. I wanted to do something significant, but I also wanted to capture one of the themes of the show and continue something that I had observed, which was that sort of link to a person's father. And when I discovered this unique story between a father and a son, which will be revealed in the episode, so I won't spoil it, I recognized that this was an opportunity to capture something unique and do something very different for episode 50. So not only do I have a story of a father and son, but what I've done for episode 50, just to make it different and make it special and significant, is I'm interviewing both the father and the son in the same show. I hope you can forgive a little bit of the awkwardness at the beginning. We need to get our momentum and get the back and forth established, but once we start talking to one another and once we start establishing that pattern between ourselves, the episode really flows very nicely after the initial icebreaker, we could call it. Now, when you see the title, you see Sergeant Sean Wickett and Corporal Al Wickett, you may think that... The corporal is the son and the sergeant is the father. As a funny story, that was part of their pre-deployment experience when they both had medicals on the same day. And when Sean was a master corporal, the medic who was preparing the medicals called up Corporal Wicket, and the senior got up and moved towards. And the medic stopped him and said, no, wait a second, I want to speak to Corporal Wicket." And the elder said, yeah, that's me. And the medic was confused because the medic couldn't figure out why the son was the senior rank and the father was the lower rank. So just a funny story that sort of captures some of what's happened to this father and son team while serving in the same unit, in the same area, at the same time. And the opportunity to preserve this unique story on this special episode was something that I absolutely could not pass up. So here's my episode with Sergeant Sean Wickett, who is the son of... Corporal Al Wickett. Corporal Al Wickett, Sergeant Sean Wickett, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Now, Sean, you and I first met at the ceremony that confirmed the transfer of the Grand Simcoe Foresters from 32 Canadian Brigade Group over to 31 Canadian Brigade Group in 2012.
1: Yeah, we did. It was an interesting day for us because we were moving back to a different brigade group that we actually belonged to originally when the brigades first came up. So it was a kind of a more of a historic moment for the foresters to be moving back to the brigade that we first belonged to.
0: That's right. It wasn't actually brigades. It was the Militia District days. So we had the Toronto Militia District and the London Militia District, as well as Hamilton, Northern, and Ottawa. And then when 32 Brigade, 31 Brigade, and 33 Brigade were stood up, those lines were then changed. I always felt that the Foresters seemed to fit better with Toronto, with Highway 400 linking the Barry Armory, at least, directly to the headquarters of 32 Brigade instead of having to go all the way to London. But I'm sure the guys in Owen Sound don't agree.
2: (laughs) At times,
1: yeah. But even with them being out in Owen Sound, it still sometimes has been a little bit more logistically easier to operate through Toronto than all the way down in London.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now, Al, you and I first met this past Remembrance Day 2015 at the Army Navy Air Force Club in Barrie.
2: It was a great day. It was somewhat odd to show up for a Remembrance Day at a uniform. It was my first time in a lot of years. Right. And we had a great time, better than I expected. little nostalgic, but what can you do if those days are nostalgia now?
0: Well, that was my first time participating in the Remembrance Day service in the city of Barrie, and I was quite grateful about the calm, mild weather that we had that day, because I can remember on previous November 11th freezing or getting soaked in rain, so I was pretty appreciative, not only of the turnout of the citizens of the city of Barrie, but also of the calm weather that we had that day.
2: Well, the Gray and Simcoe loves the the mild weather, too, because there's nothing worse than getting ready with your uniform, spending hours making sure that all your accoutrements are in the right place, shining your shoes, making sure you can see in them, and then it starts to rain and you have to wear your gabardine jacket. Nobody can <laughs> see any of your shinies or all the work you put into your uniform.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And then going out to the local messes or clubs, whatever, in your soaking wet DEUs, that, that can't be pleasant either.
2: And they always smell so good after they're wet.
0: That's right. Well, I want to thank you both up front for participating in this 50th episode, and mostly as a shared experience as father and son. But that's not unique in itself, but it's definitely unique in preserving as a podcast. Now, uh, I sent you the questions in advance. Are you guys all set? Yeah. Good to go. So the first question is, why did you join the Canadian Armed Forces? So Al, we'll start with you. We'll go chronologically.
2: Okay. Well, I rejoined the Army. When I was 38 years old, I was living in Kingston at the time. A friend of mine recruited me to become part of the PWR. I had been in the Armed Forces before when I was 15. I was a member of the Hastings and Prince Edward Regiment. Right. At the time, I was the third in my family to belong to that regiment. My friend recruited me as a shooter to the PWR. Right. Needed help on their rifle team. And I ended up as a shooter and coach and helped run the team for a while and so on and so on. Was that with the ORA? ORA and throughout the military, shooting against other military teams. We shot against the OPP. We shot against the Kingston Police Force and so on and so on.
0: Right. I remember as a corporal. Now, with the C-7s, not with the FNs, but with the C-7s competing in the ORA competitions in the early 90s, I don't know if we would have crossed paths back then.
2: Not really, because the FN was out by the time I got back in with the PWR. Right. We used the FN when I was part of the HDPs and belonged to that regiment. But I had to leave the HDPs after approximately a year because I was moving away from my hometown of Balville, so I couldn't stay in. So rejoining at age 38 proved to be a bit of a challenge, but it was a lot of fun.
0: Right. Now, Sean, why did you join the Canadian Armed Forces?
1: Well, as Dad was saying, we have a bit of a history with the reserves in the Army. So obviously that was a tradition that I wanted to uphold. It definitely wasn't pushed upon me, but I definitely knew from an early age the benefits of joining the military and serving. Right. I was also in the Army cadets, so it was kind of the next step from doing cadet programs and things like that and then starting to get paid and move into a bit of a career. But also just having the self-wanting to serve the country and the community, I think it's a pretty important thing that everybody should be doing realistically.
0: Yeah, absolutely. One thing I've noticed in the foresters is that there is a lot of son following the father in the normal course of the regiment's life. And I've noticed that quite a bit within our own lines.
2: Well, in our particular situation, like I said before, I was the third generation in the Peas. Sean had already joined cadets when we were in Kingston, Right. and had my job not brought us up here, probably would have ended up in the reserves in Kingston. And if you track back our family's history, our history in the military actually goes back to the Battle of Hastings.
0: Wow. So, Al, we'll go back to you. Would you mind telling us what the world was like when you joined?
2: Well, when I first joined the HCPs. I was too young to really have any understanding of what the world would really like. We're talking like pre-Diefenbaker days almost. (laughs) But uh, when I rejoined, the world was still a different place then. Princess Diana was the commander-in-chief for the PWR. Reserve units rarely got called arms or got to be on a tour of duty. So uh, it wasn't until the unfortunate 9 11 and everything started to fire up in the Middle East that changed things, as far as I understand, anyway, for the Canadian reservists.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now, what year was that when you
2: joined both times? Well, I was 15 when I joined the Hasty Peas, and then I was 38 when I rejoined. And I haven't actually sat and done the math, but <laughs> it would have been, so I rejoined in uh, 1993, and then I just got out little over, or not quite a year ago. Right.
0: Now, Sean, you can start with the year that you joined and then tell us what the world was like when you joined.
1: Well, the year was 2002. So the world was just kind of realizing what was going on with uh, September 11th just, had just happened the year before. Canada was just starting to get into deploying troops in Afghanistan. We still had troops in Bosnia and things like that. I had friends that had joined a year or two before me through the cadet program and were already in Bosnia wow. when I was joining the regiment. Right. And then obviously Afghanistan happened. So being able to watch everything unfold at school, even from September 11th, and as the media covered it, it was kind of a realizing moment that even though I was in high school, I was just joining the military, but there's the whole world was going happening around us, kind of.
0: Absolutely. Now, Al, can we just touch a little bit on your dad and your grandfather's period of service and what they did in the Hasty Peace?
2: Well, my grandfather served overseas and my father of course that would be world war Two. right and my father was on cfb picton well <laughs> he yeah. was training to go to korea and the korean conflict however you want to say it korean right. conflict or police action or whatever you want to say
0: i think the term now is korean war okay i think we well, have finally settled on that and yeah, we think- finally settled on it was a war yeah Absolutely.
2: Well, the Korean War ended about three quarters of the way through his training while he was stationed on the base in Picton. So, of course, his lifelong story was they knew he was prepping for battle and they ended the war because he was going to go over there and end the war by himself if they did.
0: Absolutely.
2: Absolutely.
0: Why not brag like that? <laughs>
2: So, he was a HDP approximately five to eight years prior to that, and served under Colonel Duffy, who was a famous <laughs> colonel of the day. He was head of the civil defense movement in our area down in Belleville, and when I joined at the age 15, I had to put up with my father's legacy, ghosts, <laughs> and so on, Yeah. and the good Colonel Duffy was our honorary colonel. There we go. So... Yeah, I uh, had to put up with that old nemesis that father and sons have to put up with. Well, if you're half the troop, your father was. (laughs) Well, if you're half the shot, your father was. Well, thankfully, I had a really bad rep in the and Simcoe when Sean joined, so he didn't have to feel Big (laughs) boot.
0: There you go. You've already touched on the next follow-on question. So is there anything else you can tell the listeners about what you were like when you joined, Al?
2: Well, as I said, I was living in Kingston at the time. I was running my own mechanical repair business and I kept myself in fairly good physical shape in those days. So when I rejoined, it wasn't hard to hit the physical requirements. It wasn't really an issue. I viewed being in the regiment as sort of a paid hobby, really, Mm -hmm. because I was doing a lot of recreational shooting and being recruited to shoot on the team, primarily. It was basically a paid hobby. So I got to go away and shoot for free, free bullets. I got to keep any shinies that we earned while we were away. Right. And, and I got to go away on the exercises. And instead of uh, looking after people like I was during the day, basically just be a Joe and get told what to do, what where, wear, and get free food and something to wear and free transport. And it was all good. <laughs> Sounds good. It was a great break from my normal job.
0: And Sean, what were you like when you joined? You said you were in the cadets?
1: Yeah, I was a cadet. I was, uh, I believe, a warrant officer in the cadet program by that time. But I was competing internationally with the uh, K loading team as well. So again, I was looking for somewhere else to shoot and compete. Also, coming out of high school, I was looking for what kind of career path to take. So I knew I wanted to do something with the military. I wasn't sure if it was full-time or just reserve force at that point. But I was still looking to travel and explore the world and all that kind of stuff, like most guys do when they join the Army. Right. And did you get to travel? I have been able to travel quite a bit, especially with the reserves. I was deployed to Afghanistan. I've been deployed to the Middle East with uh, Proteus. Uh, I've been in Norway. So as a reservist, I've had a, a few times to travel as well.
0: Yeah, I think we'll talk about Norway and hopefully one of the upcoming questions. Al, what is the most memorable experience you've had in the Canadian Armed Forces or your greatest achievement?
2: Well, actually, my most memorable experience and greatest achieve- achievement is actually one and the same. Right. I took part in a TAV in Afghanistan in 2008.
0: What's a TAV?
2: TAV is not like a normal tour. Tactical advisory visit. So what a TAV really is, you could be there for a week, Or you could be there for a year. Right. Unlike a normal tour where they have a sort of an idea that you're going to be there for six to eight months. But depending on what the tab is, you can, like I say, be there for a short time or a long time. Right. So for me, not only did I get a chance to put my mechanical skills to good use and help save lives of our troops in the field by upgrading the fighting vehicles, by increasing the armor and other valuable upgrades, I got a chance to serve in theater with my son, Sean.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
2: And that was the greatest thing that ever happened to me while in the service.
0: <laughs> now which vehicles were you assigned to upgrade?
2: We were upgrading the labs and the T Labs.
0: Right. T Lab. Yeah. I, I remember them from a different era and a different name. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't have steering wheels though back then. They had tiller bars, the old M one one three.
2: Yeah, well it's basically the same vehicle, just many upgrades later.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So what happened on your most memorable experience and greatest achievement? Any anecdotes or stories that you can recall?
2: Well, one of the, uh, there's lots of anecdotes and funny stories, but one of the greatest things that could have worked out but didn't, (laughs) Sean tried to get me on a patrol with him. We had a little bit of downtime. We were waiting for some machines to come in. And Sean and I cooked up this idea one night over supper that, well, if I've got time Maybe I can get permission to go out with him on a patrol. Right. So I checked with my people. And, of course, in good soldier orderly fashion, told them about one-third of the truth. (laughs) And then Sean sort of checked with a couple of his people and following the same guidelines as me. So we put this thing together, and he actually got my name on the manifest to go out. And I was going to be an air gunner for one of the vehicles way back in the back of the pack somewhere. And then the plan was... That uh, once we got out after checking weapons and so on, we'd swap vehicles and then I would end up as air gunner for this trip. Right. So things were looking pretty good until the sergeant major that was going through the manifest got a hold of the manifest and started rifling down the names and realized there was two wickets going out in this convoy. Yeah and he kind of had questions about that so and then when he somebody said well yeah their father and son well there was many colorful words spoken after that let's just say i didn't get to go
0: right <laughs> left behind
2: yeah left behind
0: sean you have anything to add to that story from your point of view
1: well what i was doing was a lot of times i was the patrol 2IC so i did inform my patrol commander and stuff like that about what was going on so it wasn't completely behind their backs or whatever. And when it came down to it, once the last man in charge kind of realized that they could have had a father and son on the same patrol, they they took the risk assessment and decided that it wasn't worth the bad publicity just in case.
0: Right. (laughs) Now, Sean, what's your most memorable experience in the Canadian Armed Forces or your greatest achievement?
1: Um, it's a hard question. So far, I think Afghanistan and being able to be deployed with him is an experience that is never going to happen, regardless of how many other deployments I go on. So, yeah, just being able to come home to calf and have dinner with your old man mm-hmm. and have a Skype conversation like this with your mom that you left behind right. is kind of a unique situation, even though that she had to be at home with, with her having her son and husband away. It's quite of a unique situation situation.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: And just as an achievement, just kind of moving through the, like going through the ranks and getting in a position as a reserve master corporal and taking up a more of a sergeant's role in Afghanistan.
0: Yeah, definitely. Any anecdotes that you recall from your time that you might want to share?
1: Of course. Yeah. Just like I mentioned earlier, about having uh, being able to come home and spend time with Dad during dinner and stuff like that. So being far enough away from home that you can't really bring anything with you, but being able to bring Dad or meet Dad there was uh,
2: something that I'll always remember.
0: Yeah, definitely. So, Al, who is your greatest influence, or who is the most memorable character that you've encountered during your service?
2: Well, there are quite a few memorable characters along the way that I served with. The list would be long, too long <laughs> to mention, and too hard to narrow down. However... The greatest influence would have to be a captain in the PWR, Captain D.W. Arnold. He was an old school soldier from the boots up <laughs> and served in the Reg force. And I believe it was 1991 to 2009, I think. And when he got out of the Reg force, then he rejoined the PWR in around 2009, I think. But anyway... He was part of the cadet movement there. He spent hours and hours and hours for free, did all kinds of work, the kind of work that nobody ever gets paid for. Right. And he was in charge of recruiting when I joined the PWR. So we sat for probably two hours in conversation. You see me muddling around the BOR trying to get paperwork put in to join. So he pulled me aside and we had this long conversation as to why at age 38 would I want to rejoin the military. Some of the things pertain to me signing up. Some of the things pertain to my family's history in the Army. And he explained a lot of things, what the military meant to him, what it meant to wear the uniform, and what it should mean to me if I accepted the challenge to wear the uniform again. When I say old school, it wouldn't be much of a stretch to say that if you've seen this guy in the old British Army trucking through India atop a camel, Wearing a pit helmet and a red tunic, you would picture Dave. That's nice. the kind of guy, an old school guy he was. We had many conversations over the years about the PWR and the Army during the rough years, the lean years when uh, Pierre Elliott Trudeau was in and where he had to exchange a pen for a pen because you couldn't even get a pen out of the BOR. Right. <laughs> and the man was the most dedicated man I've ever met. He was dedicated to his wife, his country, and his regiment. Hard to tell... Which would come first, because he treated everything so equal that you couldn't really tell. Yeah, definitely. And he was just the kind of guy you couldn't help but respect.
0: And Sean, who is your greatest influence or the most memorable character you've encountered?
2: Well, I think I'd get smacked in the back of the head if I didn't mention my
1: father. (laughs) But obviously, Dad, for even just from the beginning, about listening to him talk about making sure your boots and your uniforms turned out, and never missing a timing, things like that. So obviously, my first influence of leadership through cadets, everything like that, was all through Dad, about how to treat subordinates and how to progress. But at the same time, running into other leadership role models like Sergeant Alford yep. from the Drainfield Foresters, he was in cadets at the same time as I was. I was always in his shadow in a little bit, yep. going through the program and into the Foresters itself. If you could ever think of an individual that knew the information more, it would definitely be him. We've made lots of jokes about him being like a walking Pam and things like that. So just, just the example of always knowing information before you go to teach it and things like that.
0: Yeah, he's a walking encyclopedia, definitely.
1: As well, Warren Chessel from the Grand Civil Foresters. Just making sure that even though if you're going to be a leader, I always had to think back at him, like in Afghanistan or when I was getting the team ready for Norway. Having that personal touch with your subordinates in, in your team is really brings around a team that's going to win something. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Any memorable character that springs to mind from the foresters?
1: So yeah, I guess most memorable person would be Mike Cottonen. A lot of guys from the regiment that are in my chain of command and stuff like that all remember Mike for being somebody that even though that he did get in trouble here and there. He was definitely somebody to look forward to and someone to look towards for information and help it whenever he needed. Yeah, I never
0: had the chance of meeting him or working with him, but I do know the stories and I don't know if you want to recap his tragic end, if that's appropriate.
1: Mike passed away due to a, it was an automobile accident and it's kind of, it's really a shame. It was, I don't think it was more than a year prior his accident. He had a work accident, which most doctors thought that he was going to end up in a wheelchair for the rest of his life and he was able to, Right. Able to fight that and win. And then, unfortunately, no more than a year later is another accident.
0: Yeah, that was pretty tragic. That's what I most know him for. Like I said, I didn't have an opportunity to work with him. I never had a chance to meet him. But I did know about the accident where he was hurt and injured. And then I did know about his recovery. And then I found out about the car accident, like you said, about a year later. And a very tragic story, but definitely a a memorable character for those that had the privilege to know him and work with him. I'm sure there's a lot of stories that are not family friendly that you're (laughs) probably reluctant to share.
1: To say
2: the very least.
1: (laughs) But there's so many examples. Like there's traditions that our senior NCOs, Mess and Barry, follow every Christmas now that Mike has passed away that he used to perform for the entire regiment that we've taken upon ourselves to make sure that those traditions keep on happening.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, we've come to the final question. Al, what is the greatest challenge you've had to overcome during your service?
2: The greatest challenge for me, actually, came at the end of my career in the service. I rejoined as part of the PWR. I had some great times there. I enjoyed being part of the rifle team but due to lack of work in Kingston, I ended up back up in this area. So I transferred into the Graham Simcoe forces around 98. I was still working in the trade at my time, but shortly after the company I was working for transferred me up into customer service and sales. That job came to a screaming halt one Tuesday afternoon because of downsizing. And I ended up working some class B positions on base Borden while I was trying to figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up. <laughs> Through that, I worked for Pretzi for a while, I, again, attached to the Grand Simcoe Foresters. I ended up, while I was at Pretzi, being able to go overseas, did my work up for that, and ended up over there with Sean, which we have already talked about. Yep. When I come back, there was a position open up for a mechanic or a maintainer for a three CRPG, which is the Third Canadian Ranger Patrol Group, yes. on base Gordon. And what they do is they work with all the rangers up north and their tasking or their job is to teach and help maintain all the logistics for all of the rangers in Northern Ontario. Yeah. And I worked with them, I went on many exercises, looking at the equipment in the field and looking at the equipment in the shop. Worked with them right up until I retired at age 60, which if everybody knows is your last day for working with the military. Mm-hmm. And I love working there. It's a great organization, like I say, with a great mission, working with the Rangers up north. And I felt then and still feel now. I have many more years available to me and wish I could go to work there every day. And I still wake up in the morning wishing I was on my way to the Rangers in the morning.
0: Well, Colonel Matt Richardson, who was a former guest on this show, invited me to visit the Rangers last week. And when I was there, they were still remarking at your abilities to maintain their snowmobile and ATV fleet. And they still regret not having the ability to call upon you to keep those machines running nice and smooth for them. So they do appreciate your service and your absence is still being felt by them today.
2: Thank you. That's uh, quite the
1: compliment.
0: Now, Sean, what was your greatest challenge?
1: So far, my greatest challenge has been trying to continuously work both jobs. I have a very good employer in the civilian world, Tormont Industries, and work there as a mechanic, and they're very, very supportive of my military time. But... Working both jobs, it's very difficult when to choose to go to the military and when not to choose to go to the military. I find myself always wanting to do more military work and to kind of pull myself back and say, well, it's a little bit much for me to be asking my employer for this much more time off. But I've been able to get their names to the CFLC a few times. So they've been able to get some awards for recognitions and things like that, which kind of helps the situation. But overall, that's probably the hardest thing is saying no to the Army when I have an opportunity. And what was the last time you had to ask your boss for time off? The last big one would have been Norway when I was gone for two weeks in the last summer.
0: So what happened there?
1: I was part of a team from the Foresters from our brigade to go to a skill-at-arms competition in Norway that was competing internationally. We had four Canadian teams. There was two or three British teams, an American team and some other Norwegian teams.
0: And the outcome was?
1: We did well. We ended up coming fourth overall. We were the top international team. The first three teams were all Norwegian.
0: And who went along on the trip with you?
1: I had Master Corporal MacArthur, I had Master Corporal Kempster, and Corporal McKay Kreitz.
0: And you guys were recognized at the Christmas dinner just a couple of weeks ago with uh, having that achievement. That was great.
1: It was. It was a good achievement for the boys and for the regiment to see us all. I'm sure by now the whole regiment knew what we had done, but getting recognized from the CO and receiving the CO's coin is not something that happens every day, so it's definitely an honor.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Well, guys, we've come to the end of the four questions.
0: Al, what are you working on right now? Your suntan? Uh...
2: Well, actually, no, I just got finished putting slate in my foyer. (laughs) I haven't finished it yet. We still got to float in the grout and so on before it's finished. And we're trying to get that all done so that we can have a Christmas dinner on Boxing Day. Right. And I do get to work at the Rangers once in a while. I do have my own company that I basically reopened after I left the Rangers. So as an independent, I can go in there as a contractor and work once in a while, but money is tight. So they do what they can do on their own. And then when they are up against the wall, then they get a chance to call me in and I quote on the jobs. And if I'm the guy that's got the prices in the right area, they don't have to take the lowest price all the time, but as long as you're in the ballpark, then uh, I get a chance to go up and twist wrenches again and socialize with the boys and the Rangers.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And Sean, what's up for you?
2: Well, getting ready for all of next year, getting ready for tremendous
1: response. The unit's going to be putting on a weekend exercise that they're going to be looking for some instructors. So I will probably be a, an instructor on that and trying to keep my civilian job happy with my absence. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Well, I know that Trillium Response is going to be a bigger challenge for the Foresters now that I have the majority of the troops on op provision with me. But not only for the Foresters, but also for 31 Brigade, because I do have a whole bunch of quality people working for me in base Borden right now. And I know that those are the typical go-to people when we do have things like Trillium Response happening elsewhere on the calendar. Well, guys, I want to thank you for taking the time to be on the show. Is there anything you would like to say, Al, just to summarize your episode?
2: Well, I just want to say thanks very much again for this opportunity. And we're trying hard to keep it on the light and positive. Like anybody's military career, there's hardships as you go along. But in the long run, the good outweighs the bad. You soldier on, push through the bad things, and reap the good things when they come along. Sean has many, many years ahead of him, and he's had some great times already, but I'm sure he's going to have some fantastic times later on, too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Sean, anything you'd like to say just to summarize your episode? I just
1: want to say thanks again. It was a unique experience for the two of us to be on your podcast, but yeah, I think Dad summed it up pretty good.
0: Well, guys, thank you very much for being my special guests on episode 50 of the show. Like I said at the beginning, it's not unique to have a father and son in the military, but it is unique to have their stories preserved in this type of a format, especially with your unique shared experience of being on the same operational deployment in Afghanistan together, shoulder to shoulder. And although you didn't get to go out on that patrol, you got caught. But nevertheless, it is a unique experience that is a a once-in-a-lifetime and not for everyone's lifetime. Thanks again, guys, and I'll see you, hopefully, at the Armory of the Grand Simcoe Foresters on some time before next Remembrance Day.
2: Sounds great. Not the first time I've been caught, but it's the first time I wasn't charged. (laughs) There you go.
0: (laughs) See you again. Thanks again. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Canadian Military History Podcast. I hope that you've enjoyed this episode. If you did enjoy the podcast, please leave some feedback on iTunes. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please send me an email at MikeLacroixCMHP at gmail.com. Please let me know if you'd like me to read your comments on the air. While you're waiting for our next episode, please visit the website at www.CanadianMilitaryHistoryPodcast.ca or the CMHP Facebook page. If you'd like to support the podcast by making a donation, please click the PayPal link on the webpage. The next time you're considering buying something from Amazon.ca, please visit the Canadian Military History Podcast website and click on my Amazon link. A small portion of your purchase goes directly towards the support and maintenance of the podcast. However, your great price from Amazon doesn't change. All donations will go directly into the production of the podcast. All music is used with the express permission of the commanding officer. N-Tag music is provided by the Princess Patricia's Canadian Light Infantry. Views and opinions are those of the guests of the Canadian Military History Podcast and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Mike Lacroix Productions, the Government of Canada, or the Department of National Defence. This is a Mike Lacroix Production.